0: in my bungalow. <laughs> Hold on to your butts. Well, we're back. Hello, everyone, and welcome to... Uh, huh? Oops,
1: wrong frequency. A lady. Enough. Wrong frequency. God.
2: Hello, and welcome to the 52nd episode of the Jurassic Park podcast. I'm your host brad jost and we are here to discuss all things jurassic park sorry about that transmission there it was uh, obviously the wrong frequency i think i've got everything set correctly now um but in this shorter episode we have a bunch of emails and voicemails to get through but before that guess what this is the 52nd episode which means that this podcast has been produced every week for the past year Next week, we have a big birthday episode planned with regular contributors such as Jennifer Tarek, Matt Prody, James Hawkins, Steve Hurl, and Dan Curran. That episode should be a bit longer than usual since everyone had a lot to say, so stay tuned. We also have a big surprise for next week. It's something I've been working on for a while, and I can't wait to announce it, um, and I hope you'll really enjoy it. But before all that, why don't we get this episode started off with some thoughts, concerns, and questions from you guys, the listeners.
1: Be a genius or something. I can't get Jurassic Park back online without Dennis Nedry. all the latest technologies.
0: We shouldn't be here. And there's five dinosaurs.
1: How many Sarahs do you think are on this island?
2: Like I mentioned in the intro, this episode is full of listener input. So let's dive in and hear what everybody has to say. This first one comes from James at the Jurassic Unicast Podcast. He says, Hey dude, how's it going? Just a quick question that you may find difficult to answer. If you could design a Jurassic computer game, would you go the Lego route, i.e. open world and story mode, but with realistic looking people? Or would you prefer a park builder type game better than the Ludia one? Or an alien isolation type of survival game? If none of these styles, what would you like? Keep up the good work, James from Jurassic Unicast. Hey man, really good question. Uh, you know, I've, I've thought about this a lot. What would I like to make in terms of a video game or computer game? Uh, one that differs slightly from what we've already seen. Well, first off, I love open world games, like the older Legend of Zelda stuff. But I also love park builders like Roller Coaster Tycoon. Um, it's really tough to say. I'm not really into games where you just go around killing dinosaurs. So I don't think I'd want anything like that. Uh, But I do think that an alien isolation type game would be a great fit. Uh, To a much lesser degree, that's essentially what we got with the Telltale game a few years back, but I'd definitely like to see an expansion upon that kind of gameplay. It was kind of Uh, You know, a lot of people thought it was boring or slow, just basically a point and click. But if you expanded that and made it something along the lines of alien isolation, where you are lost on the island, trying to make your way back to safety, that would be amazing. Now, I think we kind of talked about this in the Expanded Universe episode with Zach Carlisle. That was episode 50, So, about how cool it would be to see different scenarios played out around the events of Jurassic World. I would love a survival game set during the events of Jurassic World. So, maybe you have uh, an ACU member, you know, that's set out to capture the Indominus, but was stranded and needed to come back to the Innovation Center somehow. I I could see that being a great way to expand the story that we already know. Plus, maybe it could give us a better um, insight into the parts of the parks that we didn't see as much, or... Uh, you know, or the parts of the parks that we wish we saw more of, like the old visitor center, um, the different dinosaur paddocks, and hopefully a better glimpse at Main Street. Um, I think an open world game would be great for exploring, but I don't know what type of scenarios uh, that type of game would draw. Um, a linear game is probably the best bet. Something like an, uh, you know, an Alien Isolation. Hopefully we get something. But if I had to bet, um, it probably wouldn't be until the release of the next film. Hopefully I'm wrong. But anyway, thanks again, James, and we'll be hearing more from you again next episode. The next one here is from Nick. Let's check it out. It's Nick, aka Klingon 7 JP on Instagram and Ingenuity on JP Legacy. I have a question about Nick Van Owen. By sending Nick as a backup plan if InGen showed up, Hammond obviously knew the measures to be taken to sabotage the Force relocation, right? Or was it just some sly remark on Nick's behalf? Uh,
1: I think I should tell you guys, Hammond told me these people might show up. I thought we'd be finished by the time they got started, but in case they weren't, he did send a backup plan.
2: What backup plan? From what Hammond tells Malcolm, Nick is a video documentarian, not a mission field operative. I'm assuming Hammond wanted to be as generic as possible when convincing Malcolm to go to Site B. Thanks, Nick, for the great email. Um, You know, Nick Van Owen has been on the community's mind lately. A lot of people have been questioning whether he is a good guy or a bad guy uh, for what he did there in the Lost World. Now, on one hand, he did stop InGen from successfully transporting all the collected dinosaurs off the island. Uh, But he also may have been the cause of many deaths in the film. Now, you can basically say he directly caused the T-Rex trailer incident and Eddie's death by bringing the baby T-Rex to the trailers. Now, he also caused the InGen team to lose all their communications equipment, forcing them to move across the island to find communications. And, uh, you know, obviously some more people died. But I think that everything he did was with the best intentions. But if Grant was there, you know exactly what he'd say. Some of the worst things
0: imaginable of being done with the best intentions.
2: No, but moving back to your question, I think Hammond was certainly being less specific when describing Nick's role in the adventure. Nick was he was absolutely a video documentarian uh, and certainly one to you know, to get himself in these dangerous situations with no questions asked. I'm not sure there would be a ton of people for Hammond to choose from in that case. So, so really, Nick was his guy, the only guy. I do believe Nick was briefed on everything that could occur, but uh, Hammond hoped he wouldn't, you know, need to take those necessary measures to stop Injen. Um, I think it was Hammond's intent to get them to the island to document these species and hopefully bring that to the government to preserve the island. Um, InGen just showed up a little bit too soon. But Nick was certainly capable of infiltrating engine setup and taking them down from the inside, you know, because he was used to these pressure situations from being a field photographer in combat situations. You know, Nick mentioned Rwanda, Chechnya, Bosnia. He was also part of Earth First, which is actually a real organization that that can be labeled as terrorists by those um, that the Earth First fights against. Um, You know, you got to picture people um, chaining themselves to trees to save their environment. That's the type of guy Nick was. Um, He was always prepared, and he would get himself into these situations prior to The Lost World. So I'd say Nick wasn't being, you know, just sly about that situation at hand. He was definitely prepared, and he was ready to do what he had to do. Thanks again for the email, and I hope to hear from you again soon, Nick. This next one comes from Jaden. Let's see what he has to say. Hello, I have a question about Jurassic World. Do you think that the Indominus breakout was planned because in the scene where Barry is talking with Hoskins, Barry says that there there is an asset out of containment. Hoskins picks up the phone and says they're going to learn all kinds of things about their new asset now, even though Barry never says what the asset is. Just wanted to know if you caught that while watching the film. P.S. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Jaden Rollins. Hey Jaden, thanks for the email and for the kind words about the podcast I really really appreciate it and that was actually a really great observation um, I know of the line and I actually had to go back and, and uh, watch it just so I could answer this um, so let me cue it up here so we can take a listen Code 19 They saved with two guys What's a Code 19? I said outer containment
1: These people never learn
0: they're gonna learn all kinds of things about their new asset now.
2: Now, I'll play it again, but if you missed it the first time, you can actually hear somebody in the background after Barry yells, It's a code 19. Uh, somebody yells, That's the new one, and that's Indominus. Uh, so take a listen, let me know if you hear this. Code 19! they saved with us
1: two guys, It's no. a code 19. Asset out of containment. These people they never learn.
0: They're gonna learn all kinds of things about
2: their new asset now. So, while that stuff is yelled in the background, um, is that something that Hoskins picked up on? Probably, but I-, I can't say for sure that's how he knew. But you know what? I would actually love to believe that this was all planned by Hoskins, you know, his team, and Dr. Wu. I definitely think Wu had a hand in giving the Indominus traits that people weren't expecting. So I don't really think it's crazy to believe that they, they knew it was only a matter of time before the Indominus escaped. You know, when the, in that scene with Dr. Wu and, and Mizrani, Dr. Wu didn't seem phased or shocked by the reveal of the, the escape, the deaths, or the newly discovered attributes. He reacted more so as if his little plan was working. I absolutely think that there is more going on behind the scenes here, and we get a small insight into that when they evacuate Wu from the island.
1: to a secure location but our deal is still intact don't worry you'll be well taken care of let's go
2: so was this whole indominus breakout planned maybe uh we can't say for sure right now but i think we'll learn a lot more about it in the next film thanks again Jaden, for the email We have a list here from Steve of the Jurassic Unicast podcast. Now, this list is based off my discussion with Matt Prody in episode 47, where we gave our top five list of Jurassic villains. Let's take a look at the list he left over on our YouTube page. Great discussion. My top five bad guys from the franchise is as follows. Number five, Dennis Nedry. Purely because it was purely greed that led him to steal the embryos. I'm sure he didn't realize the consequences of his actions, especially to the extent of the dinos escaping. Number 4. Henry Wu, Jurassic World. In reality, Wu is just trying to keep up with the demand of the public. Kids nowadays see a lot more violence on TV and films than we did as kids 20, 30 years ago. Mizrani told him they needed to be bigger, scarier, and cooler. I'm sure if he had it his way from the beginning, the dinos would look how they should have looked. The reason I have put him on the list is he shows next to no remorse when told people are dying. That is unfortunate, I think his line was. Number three, Vic Hoskins, classic bad guy he doesn't care about the raptors. He only sees them as weapons that he wants to control. He feels that because humans as a race created them, that they are ours to do whatever we want. Number two, seeing as you mentioned about the dinosaurs, Spinosaurus, simple decision, kills the T-Rex with ease, hunts down and seeks revenge on humans, even though his main diet is fish, wrecks a plane and a boat. All around, bad guy. Number one, Peter Ludlow took over as CEO and from the start was just an all-around bad guy. He wanted the dinosaurs captured from the habitat that they had grown used to. He also agreed with Roland to get paid by hunting a T-Rex and would allow him to get this by any means necessary. Even though things on the mainland went south, he was still trying to capture the baby T-Rex and deserved to die how he did. I could probably go into way more detail on this and it was a shame that I listened to this so late. Don't worry man, it's not too late. Uh, Thanks again for the list and I I wasn't sure if I wanted to include dinosaurs on my list or not, but I'm glad somebody did. Now, while the humans are the ones who set everything into motion, the dinosaurs are practically the bad guys of the series. And uh, your number one, Peter Ludlow, is a great pick. I had him at number one for a while, but actually ended up changing my list right before I recorded with Matt. I think Ludlow is a terrible dude, and somebody who didn't learn from his family's mistakes. Everybody likes to blame Nick Van Owen for everything in the Lost World, but let's face it, it's all Ludlow's fault. Great list, man, and we'll be talking with Steve next week as well. Let's move over to some voicemails here. This first one comes from Scorpio Dino16. Let's take a listen.
1: Hey, Brad, it's uh, Scorpio Dino16 on Twitter again. I hope you're having a great day, and uh, I was just wondering if I talked about this on Twitter before with uh, some other Jurassic Park fans. Um, what do you think about how many more sequels there should be? Because you know, it's already confirmed that jw is going to be a trilogy but i personally think that there shouldn't be any more sequels after the jw trilogy like i'm fine with prequels and spin-offs, like you were discussing in like maybe one or two episodes ago but i really think that there's nothing left to tell after five or six i mean they've already gone as far as to put a hybrid in make a very interesting relationship with animals with the train raptors and I, I don't really think there's anything else that they can think to do of with the dinosaurs that wouldn't be considered like well let's just put a chaos effect thing in there you know stuff like that but you know i just want to be on that and have a great day keep up a great work
2: Thanks for the voicemail, dude, and I totally agree with you. I think they're going to be hard-pressed to come up with more stories without fundamentally changing uh, what we know and love about the series. At least with this set of stories and characters, um, I can't really see it going that far. They would have to introduce new characters, a vastly different plot, And I think they'd have to remove the park aspect for good. Now, I do think there are plenty of stories to tell from within this universe, like we talked about in episode 50, but those are all smaller stories that I don't think have the same impact that the films do. If they continue with the symbolism that they discussed in Jurassic World, um, that people need everything to be bigger and better... I'm kind of afraid to see what this brings come the third film. Now, this series will probably lead us into 2021 if we follow that same three year gap formula between Jurassic World and its sequel. Now, obviously, we all have no clue where they will be going. Uh, for all we know, it could be looking at a Jurassic Apocalypse by the time the third film rolls around. So maybe there won't be a way to continue this once it's all done. We'll just have to wait and see. Thanks again, man, and hope to get another call soon. The next voicemail is from Noah. Let's take a listen.
0: Hi, this is Noah, and, um... I was just listening to your podcast, so, um... Ladies, um... Issue, or... You know... And... I thought of something I didn't really think of before. I don't know if you've had this question pop up, but you remember during the T-Rex breakout? Now, I was watching, and there was that big ravine they mentioned in both movie and book. And then the T-Rex somehow got over it. And broke out but that's a very deep ravine how is that work or is that just a movie error all right um you have a good day uh, by the way I'm a really big fan um, so yeah uh, All right, have a
2: good day. I'll talk to you later, maybe. All right, bye. Hey, Noah, uh, thank you so much for leaving a voicemail, and you certainly bring up a topic that many have wondered inside the Jurassic community. I think initially that scene can be slightly troublesome to people who like to nitpick continuity errors and stuff like that. It's all right because it is kind of an error. We don't really know exactly, but it can definitely be viewed as an error. Uh, But the way I've always seen it is that there's a segment where the ground is level to the tour vehicles and another area that is not. I always just assumed that there was a quick decline around the area where the vehicle was pushed over the edge. Now, like you mentioned, the book talks about the ravine or the moat area that surrounds the paddocks. So that is definitely a possibility. But then we'd have to live with the idea of the T-Rex being able to step over that wide gap of the, of the ravine. I'd rather buy the fact that there is a steep decline than a moat jumping T-Rex. So I went back and I watched the scene again, just to make sure I didn't miss the jump by the T-Rex. And uh, no, she didn't jump. Uh, but her step was pretty big, but, but not as big as that ravine was in the film. Uh, then I thought about the position of the vehicles in the two scenes when we see them at the Rex paddock. In the first scene where they tempt the Rex with the goat, the lead car drives pretty far down to the right to see that goat, which means that there is land there on the right. In the second scene, they are driving back through and pull somewhat near the middle. Um, and where we know there is land there because the Rex walks out, but also the truck goes over the edge there. So obviously no land there. Uh, I'm really confused at this point. Now, we know Grant and Lex hang over the edge, and there is a ton of open space there on their left, which has already been established that there is land there due to the goat scene. So, I don't know. I met a stalemate here because it seems like there's land, and then there's no land, and then there's land again, and no land, I don't know. Um, maybe we can kind of split the difference and say that there is a bit of a land bridge to where the goat was located, but cliffs on either side. All right, um, I've, you know, I think that settles that. Not really, but who knows? That's the best guess I have. So if anybody asks you, it's a bunch of cliffs, and then there's a small land bridge for the goat and the T-Rex to walk over. Let's stick with that. Thanks again, Noah, and I hope you call in with some more great questions and thoughts. Thanks. I've got one last voicemail here, and it's probably from somebody you'll recognize. Let's take a listen.
0: Hello. Okay. Just
2: should love in your podcast bye alright so Jar Jar thank you so much for checking out the podcast I am so honored that the podcast is available in a galaxy far far away I, I really had no idea that's really cool and I guess you're getting it there on Naboo um, now let me know if you liked the last episode that I did about symbolism and subtext of Jurassic World with Lord Christine I think that would be a hot topic for everybody out there on Naboo so let me know what you think I'd really appreciate the feedback well, that about wraps up our listener segment this week. If you have anything you'd like to send into the show, we'll certainly read it or play it in an upcoming episode. I really, really love being able to hear the listeners through the voicemails and to definitely read your thoughts via email. Now, if you want to email us, you can send them to Jurassic Park Pod at gmail.com. Or if you want to call in, you can reach our voicemail line at 732-825-7763. So please, don't be afraid to call because, uh... We don't bite.
1: Explore the park like never before. Fly around Isla Nubla and visit park attractions. Get up close and personal with our dinosaurs. And experience Jurassic World the way it was meant to be experienced. Jurassic World 3D Project. Download it today for free.
2: Thanks for listening to the 52nd episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. Of course, I need to thank everybody who wrote or called in. That's James, Steve, Nick, Jaden, ScorpioDino16, Noah, and our two mystery callers. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to add to the show this week, and I hope we hear again from you soon. Don't forget, next week is our big one-year anniversary slash birthday episode. I really can't believe it's already been a year of podcasting. We hope you stay tuned for the fun chat and a big surprise that we have in store for everybody. If you want to interact with us, we do most of our work over on Twitter, at Jurassic Park Pod. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Jurassic Park Podcast. And our Instagram handle is Jurassic Park Podcast. You can listen to us via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Podomatic, YouTube, or wherever else podcasts are found. So make sure to subscribe to automatically get new episodes every week. If you haven't already... Please do us a favor and give us a five star review in iTunes or a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. It will seriously help our rankings and make it easier for fans like you to find us. Now, we're usually spotted commenting on the Jurassic Park subreddit as Jurassic Park Podcast. Don't forget to check out our show notes for all the links you heard here today. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us with any news stories, MP3s, segment ideas, pictures, top tens, or comments. To Jurassic Park Pod at gmail.com If you'd like to record something for the show Send it in to us and we'll feature it In an upcoming episode If you don't have any way to record You can give our voicemail a call And leave us a message That number is 732-825-7763 Thanks for listening And enjoy